Welcome back to Advis After Hours, a podcast focused on the intersection of innovation, finance, and community. Today, we have the pleasure of sitting down with Thomas Ward, local restaurateur that many of you already know from Pig Floyd's over in the Mills District. Today, we actually get to take the show on the road to the latest piece of his restaurant empire called Pigza. So with that, let's take the show on the road and we'll see you on the other side. got you to do a podcast because we've tried to develop ours for the past four years and yours is phenomenal so thank you what, what got you doing that there's no camaraderie in the restaurant business here i'm gonna I mean, i'm gonna put it out there like i feel that people in the restaurant business are very protective and don't want to share information and i am pretty transparent i mean you could ask any of my staff i'll put it out there i don't care like you got to know the financials. I'm not scared of what people are getting paid. Like, I just want you to know the information and you make the decision if you want to be with the company or not. We were trying to figure out ways to get people involved with the brand and starting to understand the backstory. So, you know, because people, I think, relate more to the person than than the brand itself. Absolutely. For many years, I was criticized that I brought in too much of my own into the you know the social media and into the brand so it's like every everybody that used to talk to me is like so what happens when you open more restaurants and you're not there and i'm like they're gonna keep running it doesn't really matter but there has to be some sort of personality behind the brand to give it a little bit of warmth a little bit of understanding like and and to know that you're talking to a live person not to some company out of you know vegas that just decided to come to orlando so yeah, yeah. companies are people Companies people are people, but some people stay behind, you know, behind the company name and they're very careful about putting out information. It just depends what kind of entrepreneur or what kind of business person you are. Like if you want to put your information out there, I think it's the best because people then they make a decision based on if they want to support you or they don't want to support you. Yeah, right. And I think more than anything in the restaurant business, uh, you have to relate to people that you see on a daily basis. Like it's just. I see a lot of customers or guests that come into the restaurant. I've formed a lot of, you know, connections in that way. And then when I move forward, I'm, I'm able to, you know, do business easier. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of people that have come to the podcast want to share their story. They want to share how they came up. They want to tell you what's up. They want to tell you the, the mistakes they've made. And I'm all about that, man. Even though the industry is very tough to break into, yeah. you mentioned you have had some good mentors along the way as well, spe yeah. specifically in Orlando. Yeah. I mean, Darden being here, it's a very, very right. easy pick of the litter to go after somebody to meet them. Right. Um, and I have. You have to go, you know, you have to go after it, though. Like you have to, hey, do you know this person? Can you put me in contact with them? Just to ask them questions. I've met some really interesting people, but you have to think that the deal is totally different, right? Uh, what Darden sees and how they do a deal is a totally different deal than I would or anybody that's small, right? Recently, the Ruth Chris deal. Like, I know the guy that did the deal. I, 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 I've congratulated him. I haven't talked about the deal, but I mean, you're thinking about it and you're going, whoa, 750 million bucks, you know, for a. 200 restaurant chain what do they see 
And it's a lot of people not understanding the background of it. Like when Darden goes in and buys a company, they're already making money um, because their food cost automatically goes down three points mm. because just of the sheer volume right. that they buy. They buy $6 billion worth of food. Yeah. Uh, their deals are probably like no other. I mean, better than supermarket businesses, probably the public's um so when you go and buy a company and you can lower the food cost by three points and then start making you know let's close the office here let's start say you make your money yeah. back they're buying brands they're buying brands and they'll yeah. develop it and they need to show growth they're in the stock market you know people want to see growth they want to see what's next it's so so it's a different business that's why i never want to take my business public because then you live for the investor exactly Right. And you're not living for your guest or your employees. And I think that's part of the reason that I think those companies go wild, but then, you know, they go through hard times. Chipotle, for example, the great company. I mean, they were killing it. They were doing so well financially. And all of a sudden you get a health scare and we thought that's the end of them. And now I don't know if you've seen it lately, but they're going wild, man. Wow. That's a great example. Great yeah, example. Wild. I mean, America forgives real quick mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right they and and the the pace you know we talk about social media the pace of it is so fast that something happens today by tomorrow you might have forgotten what's it like and how do you maintain the identity of your brand but doing different concepts throughout the city because you have pig floyds now we're sitting in pigs at which you guys just opened up this year how yeah. do you maintain that identity well the issue with the restaurant business is and 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 it's kind of repetitive, right? So when you see a concept, you develop the concept and then let's multiply it and let's sell it. Whenever you get to 25 stores, you bring in venture capital, venture capital takes you to 50 and then you go for a big dog to buy the company and everybody makes money. And that's the repetitive, like they do that's it the all game the plan. time. Right, that's the, they, they do it with banks. You've seen it with banks. You know, you just want to be bought out and move on. Um. And I always had that idea, but during COVID, I saw that there was a difficulty in traveling outside of Orlando and expanding your concept with operations. And I think a lot of people don't think about operations in our business. They think, well, we'll keep expanding and we'll figure it out. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, operations are so important. So when you have a restaurant that's like, say, in St. Pete, you know, and you have one unit to go to St. Pete and deal with that one unit is very tough. So I said, OK, I could grow Pig Floyd's into 50 units. But how do I do it where I'm not going into a town and I'm building one and it's going to cost me a ton of money management wise to keep running this? So I said, uh, I call it direct. I, I call it a traveling circus. OK. And I said, if I can build five concepts. All together travel together and support each other we'll have financial efficiency and management efficiency because i can hire a guy or a girl to run that town and we have five units that are producing desserts for the other ones like i have a dessert concept called a sugar puppy that'll produce all the desserts for all the restaurants you know i have pig floyds that could do smoked meats for our breakfast concept for pigs all that so when you work with that, then you build volume and at the same time you build efficiency. What's kind of the steps practically to getting something like this off the ground? 
Well, I think the toughest thing for people, and, and I have people come to me I, a couple of weeks ago, I had a couple of people that are in the industry asking me for advice. And one of them, I told them to get out of the business that day. Like, I think you should just shut down right now and go get a job. Like, I think that's common. It is. It's uh, it's unfortunate, but in the restaurant industry, a lot of friends tell you that you have a great recipe to cook and that you should open a restaurant because your food is great. And what you have to realize is not even about the food. It's about the people. Uh, and you have to learn how to deal with the people. And, you know, um, the name of the game becomes trying to build a culture that's good, but in a very hard industry. And I don't think people realize that it's more people game than it is about the food. Um, and if you could get to that and try to figure out how to build that right culture and how to build that, that team, you'll be able to be successful. But people go in the restaurant industry, they manage their own restaurant. They work the restaurant. Then they start getting tired of doing the grind every day. And they figure this shit sucks. Yeah. Being in a restaurant <laughs> 24 hours a day, doing it yourself is not as easy as building a company, you know, and building a culture and building staff and empowering people. I used to own a food truck. I used to have it to do it every day. I would tell you that that's probably the hardest time that I've ever been in the restaurant business. You know, I have to go to to buy food every day, to prep food every day, to clean the truck, to go to the event, close the truck go home i mean by the time that i was done it was 12 o'clock at night i was dead tired i could do it because i was younger but now no yeah no man like it's just much it's, it's so much easier to build a company and to empower people to be doing their job and 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 developing like my managers right now they do such an awesome job in in taking the brands forward mm -hmm. and they live it you know, and I live it with them, but I'm not in here 24 hours a day. Yeah. So tell us about this brand because Pigs had just opened up this year. I know a lot of people who listen to this will have probably heard of it, mm -hmm. but this might be their first like real exposure. Real exposure so yeah. let, let's hear about what you got going on here. I decided that during this uh, building, this traveling circus, we had to figure out what had frequency. When you look in the industry, you always look at frequency and frequency is breakfast which has a two to three time frequency a week uh italian italian has a one a week frequency coffee has a daily frequency yep. barbecue once a month mm. at the end of the day when you build your company you're just trying to figure out which concept is the one that's just going to take off and i can develop and multiply right uh, by the looks of it, if if we can figure out the labor here and we can figure out our food costs in the next couple of months, this will be ready to expand in a year. You know what I mean? And and I think this has the capacity to go into different cities and do great sales. Describe what they can expect when they come into the restaurant if they haven't yet. What I was looking for was to change something in the pizza business because I feel like very there's very traditional. Mm -hmm uh feelings in that business and and we can see it like some of our dishes are not very traditional dishes and they're not translating uh, well, i saw so, that there's oysters on one right oh or we took oyster oh the yeah <laughs> <laughs> that pizza we took it off okay you know uh we took the oysters off uh the pastas people want sauce like saucy pastas very traditional they're like oh i don't understand this dish i'm like 
it's a typical ragu, just not the way that Americans view Italian, right? So you have to adjust, but what we've tried to do is basically build something that's different in the pizza industry. I have this ongoing joke that what's the pizzeria that's in Winter Park? I forget. Lazy, uh, not Lazy Moon, uh, Mellow Mushroom, mm -hmm. yep, right? Yep. Mellow Mushroom has 150 units. It's been around forever. Um, and it's and it's a cool spot, but they haven't been able to like really take the brand and develop it into current standards, you know, with the current aesthetics, with what people are looking for now that they're looking for a mix of things. And so I went after the mellow mushroom thing and I said, that's our main competitor. Let's focus on trying to compete with them and nobody else. Like, that's what I said. We're just going to focus on mellow. So shout out to Mellow Mushroom if you guys want to come visit and buy me. I was going to say, I'm, we can tag them in this. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can buy me. I don't care. Like, just pay me. <laughs> With Pigza, I wanted an easy name that you could translate, right? Um, I will tell you, I got heavy critique on the name. Huh. Heavy. I love it. <laughs> uh, I got a guy from Darden telling me he did not understand it. It, it wasn't going to work. Um, and I had... Three agencies tell me you shouldn't name it Pigza because it has pig in the name and people aren't going to get it. And I was like, no, we're just doing it. Who gives a fuck? Like, it's it's a name. It's a one word name. People are going to remember it. It's it perfectly describes what we're doing. If you don't get it from that, then I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not a marketing guy, but like as a consumer, I love it. it. Yeah, <laughs> it's works. easy. It's easy. And. And it relates to what you're doing as you're mixing and massing products. You know, we bring the brisket from Pig Floyd's. We do the pork from Pig Floyd's. And um, and we'll be doing more stuff that's like compared to Pig Floyd's. Like the butter chicken pizza. We'll probably put a butter chicken pizza on it uh, on the menu and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's a very long way of telling you what Pigza really yeah. was. And yesterday we had our, our... Yeah, today's Friday. Wednesday we had our meetings of... What did we mess up and what did we do right in opening? And a lot of people in, in my management staff were just saying, we didn't have the whole concept decided when we opened. Like we put a lot of stuff on the menu and we tried to figure out what would work. Um, so it wasn't a clear concept. Like, what is it? Right. We just went out there, put some stuff that I think would work and, and all, all of my management staff. And then it worked. You, you have to fine tune things and not all concepts have to come out the gate like, oh, this is what it is. And this is the box and this is the thing. It's just you just have to figure out your way. As long as you have sales, it's good. Right. We've got a colleague who talks about this exact concept all the time. He talks about building the plane while you're flying already. Yeah. And that's yeah. basically what you're talking about right now. It sucks, though, because when you build the plane <laughs> while you're flying, it's a hard time. Like it's harder. Right. But. But you tend to understand really quick if you're able to move and adjust like it, it. It's a very cool process to me, at least. Maybe to not other people. It's a lot of stress to other people. But to me, it's like, okay, this didn't work. Scrap it. Like, let's do another another menu item and let's try that and see if that works. Like, let's get the feedback. I'm a huge feedback monster. Like, I want to see it all. In every channel, I don't care if you write a bad review, good review, whatever. I want to see it. So how's it been operating in the Yelp era where people just get online and can trash you? How's that? Fun. <laughs> you, you embrace <laughs> it? <laughs> I've embraced it. Yeah. I embraced it from the beginning when we had Pick Floyd's. Um, I would answer every review. 
if I was at dinner, I would look at the phone and if it's something that we fucked up, I would give them my cell phone number and I would get out of the restaurant and go take them food. Like that I was so anal about it that now you see the fruits of the labor eight years later when they name us, you know, best barbecue on Yelp and stuff like that. We have, I think, 2,400 reviews at Pick Floyd's for a little restaurant like that. That's pretty impressive. Well, let's talk about that Yelp rating because you guys got ranked nationally. Yeah, amongst I know. Barbecue yeah. Spots. Let's yeah, touch yeah. on that. I don't want to gloss over that. Right? Yeah. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Who the f- did this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's that's why, because we really embraced Yelp. I never spent a dime with them. They called me every week. They still call me every week for Pigs and Now, and I'd never spent a dime with any any of them. I've never paid any, like, advertising or anything like that. Like, I don't think in this business, unless you're giving a coupon away, you're going to see that return on investment, right? So what we focus on and what I tell all my management staff and people is let's focus on our four walls let's spend money in our four walls like if we're spending you know advertising dollars outside and a tv you know ad or whatever we're never gonna see who's coming from that tv ad but if we spend it here in the store and we give you know we give people food to try and all of a sudden you see them back next week now you see that correlation between the guests and right. you. I'm big against uh third party deliveries. Really? Okay. Oh, I'm I'm they don't like me. Well, they like me. They want to <laughs> give me a check, but I don't want the check. Why? Because the quality of food declines or just yeah, margins just, get smaller or you're sharing your guests. Yeah. Right? So now it becomes their yeah. their mm-hmm. guests. And the Ubers of the world, they offer you a big check, they tell you that your percentage is gonna go down, and all of a sudden the the customer wants to order pick floyds they order pick floyds and we shut it down because we have too much volume they're going to move that customer to another restaurant mm-hmm. mm. right they're going to advertise the shit out of just hey go eat here instead of pick floyds i don't know i just think you lose the focus in what you're doing and I'm very scared about the food quality leaving that building with somebody that's not the guest. So you're ranked nationally and in the state number one by Yelp, which isn't like a small random publication. What differentiates you all from the rest of the barbecue spots in Orlando, in Florida and in the nation? I think the play and the fact that we did something different and sides um, was a huge thing. You know, doing rice and beans with barbecue, that's not the usual Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, it's just the expectation is traditional. The expectation is and and uh, is, is they want to see cornbread. They want to see mac and cheese. They want to see collard greens. They want to see all these things. And we did the opposite. Mm. And at the same time, marketing wise, we differentiated ourselves from Four Rivers. I'll call right. it out. I don't care. John right. knows it. <laughs> you know, John went one way. I went the other way. I went the opposite way. And I think it worked for us. I mean, obviously, we're only one store in. He's got 20. But um, I just think the way that we went about it with a smaller location, tighter footprint, you know, and controlling those things was better for us. Who knows what time will tell what's better or what's worse. But I just think real estate wise, if you do smaller and uh, you focus on doing something different, 
I think you could differentiate yourself in the market. The thing is, like, what hasn't been invented? You know, right? Like, I, I, I've probably seen maybe one or two places in the United States doing smoked meats on pizza and stuff like that. But I haven't been all over the United States. I was listening in preparation for this how you all targeted females by offering tacos because you said a lot of times they're the one making decisions on where to eat. And I look back and I'm like, every time we go to Mills, my <laughs> wife wants to go to Pig Floyd's to get the tacos. I'm like, damn, <laughs> they nailed it. It's funny. I grew up with four sisters. Okay. Um, and when you think about it, who makes the decision is your woman. 100%. Right? In, in my world, at least. No, mine as well. Is, in your <laughs> right. world, whatever. Right. But so when we were coming up with the concept, barbecue at that time wasn't considered sexy as it is now. Barbecue is really sexy now. I don't know where where it changed or where, but <laughs> it was typically like a male, I would say more of a male thing. Like it's heavy. It's a lot of meat. It's a lot of, you know, things that maybe we like to eat as guys. But then we try to figure out how do we bring in the, the others, like the women factor into this by just bringing something lighter and then the sides. Everybody eats rice and beans. Everybody eats fried yuca. Like they like it. We said tacos, but the issue with tacos is then are we going to do these old boring tacos that bring in just the regular meat that we do in the house and just throw a couple things and just make it cool? No, let's do tacos that are even different to what we do or what we have in flavor profile with traditional barbecue. So when we did that, it was a hit. Back, what's the collaboration like? Working, hiring chefs for these different restaurants and kind of making these dishes come to life and your vision come to life. You should ask Jason. I mean, I, Jason's been with me since the food truck days. So we've had a very interesting relationship because I'm not a chef, but I act like one. Right. You know, I, I make I, I slept at a holiday Inn last night and I guess you could call me a chef. <laughs> no? I study more, probably more than him. Like with pizza, I drove him nuts. I think it got to a point where I was like, and he he's probably out oh, there. Keep making a face. <laughs> yeah, he's making a face. But we tried like nine different flowers, 17 tomatoes, like 20 different iterations, this cheese, that cheese. Like, and I I watched YouTube videos of you know digestibility and all. And he was, it, it got to a point where one day he goes like, just shut up. Like, <laughs> yeah. We need you're to stop it. Yeah. You're going deep on it. He's like, yeah. I know how to make the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like analysis by paralysis, right? You see so much information that you're like, I don't know what's going to be the best. He brought in a, a dough one day and I said, if we sell this dough, we'll go out of business. And I think we got into a little bit of a tiff at that point. Like, and maybe like a couple of days later, he brought in a sourdough and I go, now we're talking. Like, this is different. This is not the norm. Because I think a lot of people, when they go out and open a restaurant, they just find the normal products that you can find and just do the same shit. And yeah, you doctor it up a little bit and and supposedly it's different. No, I want it to, like, even if it's more tedious, I, I want something that's totally different and that nobody's doing. Like, Bianco and Napoli tomatoes weren't being brought to Orlando before we did. You know, we brought this tomato that's organic from California that cost $20 more a case. And now all of a sudden, like, I've been told my my supplier, we have three other people that want to buy the same tomatoes. <laughs> uh, like, so, 
you know, it's the same thing with other other concepts like with sushi, fish, you know, somebody's bringing these expensive fish and it's translating and then other restaurants want to buy that expensive fish. I heard you touched on this another podcast you did, but about the most important role in the kitchen, the dishwasher, in your mind, the dishwasher. Talk on that a little bit. because I thought that was interesting. I'll give you the perfect example. We're not known for mac and cheese at Pick Floyd's. We did it. I really did it because it got to the point during COVID that people kept asking for mac and cheese and catering and we didn't have it. So we were losing some catering due to the fact that we didn't have the traditional items. So we tried doing like eight different recipes for mac and cheese. And how does how is it going to hold? How are we going to do it? And at the end of the day, we decided to go with a product that's already made. It, it comes it comes pre-made. You heat it up and, you know, you put it right. out there. It's the most consistent product in the market. And whoever has a different idea of that, I will fight them to the end because in this game, it's consistency. Right. So we brought in a white cheddar mac and cheese that's expensive. That's great. Great flavor. We put it out. The dishwasher starts telling me that the dishes are coming, you know, half empty. They're not eating the whole thing. You know, I keep a lookout. I keep talking to different dishwashers and they all say the same. And I go, okay, let's do a little let's do a little taste test and figure out how we can change this. So I told my supplier, please bring the worst mac and cheese you have. And by worst, I mean craft, like very traditional yellow mac. You know, I don't know if you want to call it fake cheese, whatever the f you want to say, right? Bring it in. Let's taste test. And we didn't say anything. We just put the white cheddar mac and cheese with the mac and cheese. And guess what won? <laughs> 12 to 1. The shitty mac and yep. cheese. <laughs> so when you start looking at flavor profiles, right? And the things that you're putting out, you also have to be careful with like going a different route that one customers want. So what I say about the dishwasher is that he has a pulse in everything that's going on in the restaurant because he sees it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, he's sitting in the kitchen, so he knows what the hell is going wrong with the kitchen. <laughs> so for me, when I walk in, I like talking to the dishwasher because I know and I'll get the right information of what what's not working today. What item is sucking today? Why aren't we tasting it? Like, what happened to that? You know, here, if I see a spinach and if I see an artichoke and pepperoni dip go back to the kitchen, I'm asking, like, what table did that come from? And I go to the table and make them feel uncomfortable, like asking them questions. What happened? What did you like? Why didn't you like it? Because that's when people really tell you the feedback. Well, you're and you were just we're talking about the dishwasher. You're just talking about people. I think this is more of an art. But how do you? get the right people you keep trying this is a business that some people come in it to be for a short time because they need to make money uh so maybe they're in it for six months mm -hmm. for a year or maybe they do want to make this their official job for the rest of their life i don't see a lot of that like because it's just such a tough industry mm. i do have some people that are i call lifers and that you have to protect, you have to protect them at all costs because there's not a lot of people that want to stay in this industry forever. Listen, you just have to create an ambience that's fun and that people enjoy. And what I say is if somebody comes into our company, I want them to leave with more knowledge, you know, with more know-how of the business and not to necessarily hide anything. And I think a lot of people like hold back in information and sharing stuff about the business just to 
they think that they're going to tell people secrets or whatever like that. I'm like, here's a recipe. Go figure it out. This yeah. is it's tough it's, enough. It's tough enough. Yeah. yeah. It's not the recipe. It's not necessarily that it's just people. And that's to me is the most important thing. And I, and, and I say it like, I, I don't know if you can ask, I mean, you can ask my staff and, and all that. Like we, we treat them with respect. We try to do the best for for them because we know that they're out there basically putting our name right um at every table so that person is the most important person because it's not me all the time as a leader what would you say your leadership style is and i think i know and you won't remember this but the first time we met was at cows and cabs uh -huh. and i was bouncing around different stalls getting food and getting drinks and most of the stalls were operated by just the staff of the yeah. restaurant but you were out in front of the table, I shaking was. hands, hand yeah. plates out, <laughs> hand good. drinks out, asking people's feedback. So I'd imagine you're a lead from the front kind of guy. Is that accurate or? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not scared of doing any job here. Like if I need to wash dishes tonight, I don't care. I actually enjoy washing dishes, believe it or not, because I'll put my headphones in and I don't have to talk to anybody. Therapeutic. Yeah, it is therapeutic. I think I'm a different owner in the sense that I'm really involved but I'm not a helicopter parent. I don't know if you understand that mix. Like I want to be involved, I, but I also want them to make their own decisions and their own mistakes. Right. As long as it doesn't cost me a lot of money. Right. Because I think it's important that people realize like that you're empowered to make the decision or to, to do that. Part of what we want to do is create a community around our clients, our friends, our family. And this is a great way to do it by just hearing these stories and it evolved because we were just grabbing coffee, lunches and dinners with people. Like, damn, this guy's got a great story. Let's just put a camera in front of us, see what happens. And here yeah. we are. And you did the same thing, I feel like. Yeah. People want to hear it. I mean, uh, I, I interviewed Marcus Jordan. And that was yep. a cool interview yep. because Very you get cool. to figure out how that family works out. Right. Uh, John Morgan was great. I bet. <laughs> he was great, man. Uh, John, John has done a lot of interesting things. And... Obviously, he's been very successful at doing his firm, and and that's what's obviously made him the majority of his money. But now he has other opportunities that he's been in and invested in. He's done really well too. I think the story, the storyline, is very important because I think everybody thinks that it's this like this person got lucky or this person did this, and all of a sudden it's you know from night to day they're rich. You know, when I was young, I had that sort of mentality to a certain degree, right? Because you, you view people and you're like, man, that guy got real lucky. But the fact that I grew up in an entrepreneur family and I saw how, how, how hard my dad worked to create a company, you, you start to realize like it just takes a lot of hard work and a lot of years that people aren't noticing you. And then all of a sudden, you know, after all those years of work that you put in, people start noticing you. Right. Nobody understands that when I was 13 years old, I was getting up at three in the morning to go sell ice cream because my dad made me. You know what I mean? Those type of things create my work habits, have created whatever I am today. And to me, I think the background is the most interesting thing. Like uh, I have a buddy, JJ, you know, that when when I was I had Lake Nona and he had a couple other stores, we lived through that time together. My Lake Nona store wasn't doing good. One of his stores wasn't doing good. And we talked all the time. That's that's that to us was the fun. we laugh now and we talk about we call it our fun box days. You know, back there, back then, 
there's this thing online that is called Funbox that lends you money, you know, for cash flow basis. Okay. And we used to laugh about Funbox because we were like, oh, yeah, we use Funbox all the time, you know. But it's it's just the way that business is. You know, people think that it's all fun and dandy, but sometimes you have cash flow issues. Sometimes you have to spend more money in places that you, you know, weren't expecting and stuff like that. And I think that's part of the fun of the business, like just trying to figure that out. We call this after hours because for two reasons. One, we typically do it either before or after the nine to five. Okay. But the realization is that all great businesses were built after hours. They weren't built from the normal nine to five job that people think. And so what... <laughs> What is your after hours moment where you were just in the thick of it, but it was kind of transformative into where you are now? COVID. Uh, I can imagine. I mean, I had just gotten voted best barbecue in Orlando by Orlando Sentinel. My cash at that moment wasn't the best because I had Lake Nona um, and I had Pig Floyd's and it was just a weird year. Uh, 2019 was weird. I bought my one of my... My investor at Mills, I bought them out that year. And I don't know, 19 reacted a very different way sales-wise for a lot of people, not for only us. And then all of a sudden, you got, we got voted. Sales are up. Everything's looking great. And they tell us to shut down our restaurants. Like, I'll tell you, I, I think you can ask anybody. I think I walked five miles around all these buildings that day just trying to figure out what the am I going to do mm -hmm. like this could be the end and it's not my decision you know it's just a decision based on whatever is going on in the market right now and that's a tough one man that is when they put you against a wall like that luckily we made the decision to shut down one of the restaurants so that cash flow wouldn't hurt and let's focus on one and try to get the sales out of that one mm -hmm. and I think that was a great move that we did I I drove all around the state I went to Miami. I delivered food to Jacksonville. I went to every freaking town in this in Orlando. Anywhere I had to go, I would drive. I there was one time that I went with 50 orders to Miami and I spent there from six in the morning till 12 at night delivering. So those type of things, I think, along with the podcast, really got the company in a different place. And people saw that we were really putting in the effort to survive, man, like to survive during that time. Luckily, thank you, PPP. Thank you for all right. the government money. Right. It's allowed me now to expand and to do other things. So, um, yeah, it was a experience at the beginning, but it, it, it was kind of a blessing at the end. But it's tough. It's tough when you're going through it and you don't see the end and you're like, how is this going to how is this going to go? Like, how are we going to get out of this? Um, so, yeah, I would say COVID is is a uh, was my my wake up moment. When did you realize kind of this was the life for you with what you're doing now as a restaurateur? And where did you learn the resilience that it really takes that you're describing in all these stories to be in this business? My dad fired me. Um, listen, I was I was a rich kid. OK. I was 21 years old in Rollins. I had a house in Isleworth by myself. I was driving four cars. I mean, I had a Ferrari. I had at 21, I was living really well. And, you know, my dad had just sold his company. So he had boatloads of money and all that. So I thought that mentality was what's going to, you know, continue. And and I I don't lie. Like, I, 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 I say it like when you're rich, 
Like when you're you're coming from a great wealthy family, you think that your life is set. So when my dad fired me, uh, that I went to work for him in the supermarkets, and he fired me and that, that was back day in Puerto Rico. Yeah, in Puerto Rico in 2010, he fires me. I think that's when shit starts clicking. Right. You know, I had been working my ass off. My dad, my I don't want to say that he's 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 yeah yeah he made me work 20 hours a day okay um no vacation time seven days a week because he needed to make me realize that like you have to work hard to be able to make it what really kick-started me was my dad firing me i came back to the states i couldn't find a job like walmart didn't give me a job Publix. i mean i went to an interview at Publix. The guy took out this humongous book with all these questions. I answered every question and I said, sir, your job is very easy. Like, <laughs> I mean, if you want to run a supermarket, come to Puerto Rico. We have 400 different suppliers that you have to negotiate. All these things that you have to do. You do computer ordering. You just market and tomorrow it'll be here. That's not how this works. So I know that industry very well. And the guy's like, I can hire you as a bagger. I go, oh, this is going, this is going to shit. Yeah. Like, this is, I ain't, I'm not going to be a bagger. Right. Then my dad offered me to go to Rollins to do my master's. And I fucked that up, to be honest with you. I didn't want to do my master's. I thought that was a waste of time. So when I went back that December to Puerto Rico, he had given me a severance package. And he said, your severance package ends the 31st of December. So I hope you figure out what you're going to do because I ain't sending no more money. I literally picked up my, my cell phone, called my friend and said, I think I'm going to open a food truck, man. You think you got some money you can lend me? And my friend, which till this day, thank you, Nils, he called me and he said, I'm going to sell my car wow. and I'm going to give you the money and we're going to go into business together. And I said, sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like you're going to give me that money and you're going right. to sell your car. That's bullshit. Right. So I just kept going and started looking for a truck and called some other friends to lend me some money. And sure, Nils shows up a week later, sold his car and gave me the money to open this. Let's go. Legend. Let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Like, <laughs> I don't know what the f I'm doing. Or, I mean, the lucky thing about this is we have a food truck, so we have an asset that we can sell if this goes belly up. The many occurrences that happen in that truck have given me the capability to operate this company today, right? Because you learned a lot of things that you don't learn in the restaurant industry. For example, being outside in the heat, how people react to that, how people react to rain, how, how the business gets flustered over all those things, how people like to see lines outside. It's a visual thing. It's a, so that was intentional. The, the lines, the Pig Floyd's line outside. Yeah. I just remember yes. the Four Rivers lines back like, when Four Rivers opening, too. That was the whole thing. The, uh, it was a thing. That line, as you develop and you understand the restaurant business, you know, and I worked at Chipotle, believe it or not, before I opened Pig Floyd's just to study them for six months. Okay. So I always started learning about throughput, but the line became a thing because i always said and and till this point you could you could prove it to yourself when people wait at a table they think that they're waiting double the amount of time that they're waiting so next time you go to a restaurant turn on your phone whenever you put in your order mm. and then when the server comes with the food think how much 
did you really wait and then look at your clock and it's going to be different right it's you're going to think that you've been waiting for more time so i always said make them wait in line instead of waiting at the table because if we put their food in the table in four minutes they're going to go like this place is fast and that's what we do we'll make you wait in the line because visually you're waiting in line and if you're waiting you're going to stay but when you get to the table you're going to get your food right away so we did that trade-off not a lot of people or not a lot of companies do that they all talk about throughput and moving the customer faster but sometimes you just got to make them wait a little bit like it's a psychological thing i guess what are the next five years look like not only for you but kind of the orlando food community in general because we're in the heart of mills and jeff and i when we moved back from college we both lived right at here the gallery at mills right here oh, did you? and since then it's i mean pig floyd's was around it's changed then, so but much. it's changed yeah. so much so Just what does the last... next five years look like yeah. for you all in this area and strictly my opinion i think the amount of money that is coming into orlando in terms of people moving in is changing the landscape and upping the game Um, all these restaurants with the Michelin star and the $300 meal and, you know, all this was never here. You're seeing it and it's coming fast. Just in the last couple of years. Exactly. Just in look, not my style of food. And I tell all the owners of those restaurants, it's just not my style. But I think that has really upped the market and has really adapted the market into becoming a big city food scene. I think in the next five years, Orlando will keep developing that portion of the business. The issue that I see, though, is that real estate is getting out of whack, mm -hmm. right? And when real estate gets out of whack, that's when you're starting to see like restaurants not being able to survive because rents, you know, are coming up. Um, so it's going to be an interesting market for the next five years. For us, I will keep expanding in Orlando to the point that I see that I don't, I don't see any more capacity. And then I'll move to another, another city. I'll probably go to Tampa next, you know, so that we have some operational efficiencies. It's not, it's an hour and a half away. But then even that going to Tampa now, the real estate is expensive expensive and impossible so we might have to go somewhere where you know it's not it's not a big city or a developed concept right and that's tough man that's tough so i i want to create a, a you know a pretty pretty great base for the company financially mm -hmm. to make sure that whatever move we make doesn't affect what we've built and what has taken so long to build man like my mentor you know my different mentors they they also share the same you know the same thing like try to stay close to orlando and then grow you know exponentially close don't try to go from here to atlanta or from here to texas or from here to another big state because it's very tough to replicate yourself and get on a plane when you have an emergency at a restaurant you know two right. hours away yeah we're just trying to build the base here and trying to you know, grow within the community and, and make sure that, you know, we're really, really tight here and then we'll make other moves. The money's getting tougher to find. I will tell you that. A lot of people are scared of the restaurant industry. 
they don't need to be scared because I think it's a great industry. It's just the amount of people that go into the industry and fail have really caused a lot of war stories. Yeah, there's a lot of war stories out there. So people that invest in restaurants sometimes lose their money and they're like, oh, that's the worst investment that I've ever done. Right. But some people are making a ton of money. So who knows? Like, I don't know what's the right or wrong. All right. I'm going through banking to, for growth um, and some for some investment from outside. So we have to see how that goes. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I want to expand. I want to keep growing. I want to take the company to about two or three hundred million dollars in volume so that we can sell it. But that's always been my plan. Right. You know, just grow in volume and be able to sell eventually and go into another project. I don't, I don't ever want to retire. I want to keep working. Right. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get out of the restaurant industry. Mm. I'll probably be very fucking bored. <laughs> well, I can tell your brain's always moving. And I know we got, well, we, we have this, where we're sitting right now, Pig's, uh, Pig Floyd's, potentially more Peggy Floyd's. What else? Sugar Poppy. I have, I have probably, man, I've had three or more concepts. The issue, the issue becomes though, like how uh, you can, you can come up with any concept. How viable is it within the brand and within the company, right? And does it does it equate to something that's that goes with what we're doing? You know, I I like to build a Mexican restaurant with smoked meats. That'd be really cool. Nobody does that. Um, they cook it in a different way. But imagine, you know, brisket fajitas. That'd be something that sold. Would, yeah, right. <laughs> I like to do something like that, uh, but. It, it it's more it's more than just the idea that i have in my head and to execute it is it's tough right now i mean this building took two and a half years to open bubaloos uh in lee road that's taken now a, a year and seven months it's just becoming tougher man what you're gonna see is a lot of changing concepts in restaurants that are already out there that's what i've been hearing from most of the people in the industry like we're not going out there to build restaurants. We're going out there to buy things that aren't working so that we can change the concept and keep it moving. Because the construction side is taking a long time, a long ass time. Well, to this point, you all have done a phenomenal job executing, at least from our perspective. So from your perspective, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From, so congratulations yeah. to you, you appreciate all. It. Appreciate you having us in. Appreciate yeah. you coming on today. This has been yeah. awesome. We're probably going to stick around for lunch today. Cool. So, uh, Thanks for everything. I hope Thank I you. didn't talk too much. Yeah. No, it was awesome. It was awesome. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, man.